Hi, welcome to Inclusive Gathering Birmingham. My name is Danielle. Um, I'm here in Mosley Park near my house and I, this is about like the fifth spot I've gone to to try to get away from all the people who are happily chatting in the nice sunshiny weather. It's probably a good problem to have. Hope the weather continues um, to be as sunny and nice. Here are the ducks. Um, so welcome uh, to joining us today from wherever you are. Um, we are an inclusive and affirming church that, that really wants to celebrate the gifts and the contributions of all people to um, communities of faith, discussion and questioning. We often call ourselves a learning community, so that means that we want to make space for us to learn from one another from our various experiences and kind of also recognize that we don't always get everything right. And so part of that is learning how to hear other views and um, forgive one another when we get things wrong and kind of work toward new ways of being community together even in the midst of this strange um, season so obviously with all of you we're praying for um, this season of restriction to to come to an end and we'll be thinking of talking more about that together in the coming weeks and months about what that looks like for us as a community that's now um, expanded beyond the Birmingham area and um, so we'll talk more about that together in the coming, coming weeks. Um, so whether you're gay or straight, uh, whatever your race or ethnicity, whatever your gender identity, whatever your um, ability, disability, neurodiversity, class, whatever, we want to invite you to be here just as you are. Hi everybody, my name's Rosie and I'm going to read a prayer today that's based on the ancient words of St. Augustine of Hippo. As I pray, you might like to pray the words with me or just let them wash over you. Keep watch, O God, with those who work or watch or weep and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, give rest to the weary, bless the dying, soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, shield the joyous and all for your love's sake. For some, the coming night is not peaceful at all. Some are tossing and turning in pain and in fear from injury or illness. Others are nursing them or performing desperate heroic acts to save their lives. As I pray this, I think of the medical personnel in hospitals and nursing homes. I think of those in spiritual distress or living out their last hours and those who are at their side ministering to them. It is through them that Christ tends the sick. It is through them that Christ soothes the suffering. Amen. Hi, this is Joel. Today we continue our series looking at the depth and the mystery of the stories or parables that Jesus told. The reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, one of the four stories in the Bible about Jesus' life and teaching. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do, and he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return in the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. 
Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone. Watch for him. Hi, I'm Faith. This week we're continuing our series looking at the stories that Jesus told. First off, I'd like to thank the folks in the uh, Summerfield Bible Study Group who had some great insights when we discussed the scripture together. This message would not be the same without you, so thank you. A recurring theme that keeps coming up as we're looking at these, uh, at Jesus's stories, is that there's not a simple answer to them. They're not maths problems that once we figure them out, we can start applying in the one correct way, and then making sure that others are also applying them in that same way in all situations. Jesus used metaphors and imagery to keep us on our toes, to startle us and make us to consider our lives and actions in new ways. Different people might see themselves as different characters in these stories, and the same person can see themselves in different roles at different times. That's because the, Bi the Bible is not just dead words on a page. It is the living, breathing Word of God. And when we listen, and when we're open and receptive to the Holy Spirit, she continues to open these passages to us in new ways, to draw us closer to God and help us more faithfully live into the way of Jesus. There's a repeating theme in our passage today. Keep awake. In the verse right before our passage starts, uh, Jesus says, beware, keep alert. He offers the image of servants being left in charge while the master is away on a journey, each with their own work to do. The doorkeeper is to keep watch for the master's return. All of them are to stay awake so they are not taken by surprise at the master's return and found sleeping. This is such a short passage, but it raises so many questions. Who is the master of the house who the servants are to keep watch for? What work are they doing in the meantime? And why is it so important that they not be caught asleep? This passage comes at the end of chapter 13 in Mark. That chapter, along with some similar passages in Matthew and Luke, are known as the Little Apocalypse because Jesus uses apocalyptic imagery to describe what the disciples are to expect. That message of watchfulness runs throughout the chapter. Jesus warns them that the temple will be destroyed and others will come in his name, but they are not to be led astray. The disciples can expect to face persecution. Unlike England today, where Christians are able to worship freely, Mark's audience and other Christians in other times, and even in some places of the world today, face dangerous consequences for following Jesus. He uses dramatic imagery, the dimming of the sun and moon, stars falling from heaven. It's important to know that Jesus's disciples would have been familiar with these references as they refer to a genre known as apocalyptic literature, which they would have known. But rather than instilling fear in his disciples, Jesus is encouraging them to endure and remain hopeful, even in the midst of apparent doom. 
There is disagreement among scholars as to whether Jesus' words here describe the destruction of the temple and the political events that Mark's listeners would have seen in their time. The consensus seems to be that while some of what Jesus speaks of could refer to the events of 60 to 70 AD when the temple was destroyed, the image he is painting is much larger than that. He is placing what they are experiencing within a larger cosmic context. The big theological word for this is eschatology. This comes from the Greek eschaton, meaning end. Now, that does not necessarily mean end times, which is the theology I was raised with. I never read the Left Behind books myself, but I gather they were about that sort of eschatology. I remember seeing charts with timelines that linked current events with biblical passages to try to gauge just where we were on God's timeline. But Jesus explicitly warns us against trying to predict when he will return in his fullness. He even says in verse 32 that the Son doesn't know when that will be, only the Father. So Jesus is saying even he can't say. While Jesus' stories can't be reduced to a single meaning, I do think there are ways to read them that can be potentially harmful. For example, the way we understand the meaning of keeping awake and the kind of awareness we're supposed to maintain is important. I am keenly aware of how survivors of trauma might read this passage. People experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder face a number of challenges in their daily lives. One of them is hypervigilance, a constant alertness to danger, even in seemingly safe environments. Reading Jesus's apocalyptic imagery as a threat, and then this passage as a command to stay awake or else, is doing damage to those who are already living in fear and it is not the gospel of love and peace that he preached. Instead, Jesus is letting his followers know that even in the midst of persecution, they can live in hopeful expectation of his return. Watching for him means living in hope, not fear. In verses 28 and 29, Jesus offers the image of a budding fig tree that anticipates the coming of summer, that is an image of life, not death. Another word we can use to understand our end is telos. This is the Greek word Jesus use, uses in verse 13 when he says the one who endures to the end, telos, will be saved. Telos can refer to time, like it does in verse 13, but it can also mean the point of something, like what is the end of humankind? What are we ultimately aiming for? The moral philosopher Alistair McIntyre discussed this in a book called After Virtue, which has been really important in my own spiritual and ethical journey. McIntyre believed that our society has lost its sense of a telos, of a collective agreement on the basis of our moral understanding. He wrote that in an absence of this collective agreement on truth, people would cling to emotional reasoning to justify their beliefs. And if someone tried to, to prove them wrong, they would say, hey, 
You get your truth from your sources and I get it from mine. Speaking from my own experience, I have seen that kind of thinking play out in my home country of the United States and the results are disastrous. For Christians, our end is Jesus. And I think that's what this passage is getting at. If we understand the man on the journey to be Jesus, which is how I'm reading it, then he has left us all with work to do. We are to carry on his ministry of healing the sick, clothing the naked, calling the powerful to account. And we have to rely on one another to do that. Note that while Jesus says all in the house must stay awake, there is one person, the doorkeeper, commanded to be on the watch. To me, this says that we are called to trust one another <clears throat> in the work that we are given. So those who are not able to stand right at the door, right at this moment, for whatever reason, can trust that the one watching will wake them before Jesus's return, watching for him. And Jesus gives us imagery that allows us to trust that his return will not be mistaken for the false messiahs he warns us against. We will see him come in power and glory. And all of us, the collective body of Christ, will be awake for it. Doing the work Jesus calls us to can be hard, especially when we see the effects of profound injustice in our world homelessness and hunger, when there is more than enough to go around, hatred and exclusion based on race or sexuality. It can be easy to fall into despair. If we focus only on what we see in front of us, if we believe that we are left alone in this work, we can become overwhelmed. One danger we can fall into is separating the work of making things right, of righteousness, from the one who calls and empowers us to do it. We can reduce justice to an abstract concept, make it an end in its own right, even turn it into an idol. When we as Christians get so caught up in the work that we attach it, we detach it from its true end, from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that God makes known to us through the Holy Spirit, we sacrifice God's righteousness for self-righteousness, and that never turns out well. That's why I so appreciate the focus of Red Letter Christians. Um, for those who don't know, Red Letter Christians is a Christian social justice organization that some of us at IGB are also involved in. Red Letter Christians and Red Letter Christians UK, uh, the motto is uh, Jesus and Justice, and it is so important that we keep those two together. The theologian Amos Young says that Christians are to live in a posture of yearning. We are to live in the presence of Christ that we now know partially through the indwelling Holy Spirit while anticipating our full reunion with him upon his return. When we worship together in his name, when we pray, when we share the communion meal that is his body with one another, that is what I'm most anticipating. That's what I look forward to when this lockdown ends. When we do all of that, we connect with him in a special embodied way. Our worship is part of the work we're called to. It's part of how we keep our focus on our true end, on Jesus. 
if you're someone like me who grew up being afraid of passages like this one, take heart. Jesus doesn't call us to live in fear of a burning world, but in hope in him. And when we keep our lives, just focus watchfully on him through our worship and ministry, we can trust in him. We can live in joyful expectation that even in the midst of our broken world, we are working toward the renewal and resurrection that his spirit empowers us for. We can trust that he has not left us alone and that one day we will be reunited with him in the flesh and share in the fullness of life together. Abraham and Sarah were old. They were childless. By the standards of their society, they were as good as dead. Then God showed up, inviting them on an epic road trip. You have a future, God said. I made you for a reason. You are part of something so much bigger than just the two of you. Come on, I'll show you. I promise. They left everything they knew and marched into the desert with its scorpions and bandits to build a life, a family that would survive. The Apostle Paul looks at Abraham and Sarah trusting God with their lives and he says, this is what we're supposed to be about. This right here is righteousness. Queer people all over the world live this kind of risk every day. In nearly 80 countries, same-sex sexual activity is a criminal offense. In the United States, 11 transgender women of color were murdered in 2014. But we keep telling the truth of our lives. Why? We risk because we feel the hope that Abraham and Sarah felt. Like them, we risk everything to be who we are, to be the people God created us to be. This kind of risk is the verb form of faith. It is active trust in something bigger and stronger than any threat to our individual safety. Wait, am I comparing trust in God with the queer impulse to walk the streets being who we are? You bet I am. Queer people risk in this way for ourselves, but we also do it for one another. Telling your truth helps me tell mine, and that paves the road to our survival. It's the way we help build a better world, and it's also how those of us who are killed live on. And so we risk knowing that we are part of a life, a love, a truth that cannot die. Amen. cool that was very cool and that is very hard to follow um i mean it, it's incredible that actually people have so much courage in other countries and you know us as well in this country to be ourselves and show that in dangerous places and also just the way that she put it about how that takes a lot of faith as well. I'd never thought about that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, and how yeah. sort of the risk or, or basically the belief in something bigger that means that the risk is worth taking is quite, yeah, 
That's amazing. Yeah. I think sometimes we're just like living, aren't we? But it definitely is quite, I don't know what the word is even, amazing to think about that mm. for someone to explain it in that way as well. Yeah. Yeah, and we get to do that every time we meet as a community. Mm. Um, we've got some water and some chocolate here for the love feast. Grab something that you've got close by to you. Maybe comment below what you've got. Do you want to share what the love feast is? Yeah, so um, when we used to meet in person, we'd normally share food together. Uh, probably one of the best bits about RGB was all the amazing grub. Thank you, Ethan, mostly. Um, it was so good. And we've sort of brought this into the online way of doing church as well, because I think it's really important that we share community in this way mm. and in a different way to what we used to as well. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's pray. Yeah, I'll pray. Creator God, thank you for... The risks that we take thank you for all those people that took risks which now mean that we don't have to i pray lord for those who are still in danger and who are taking risks for something bigger than themselves for for justice warriors lord i just pray that you fill our hearts with justice so that we can take risks in your name. Amen. Amen. I wanted to fill you in a little bit about next week. We've been trying trying something different in this season of trying to work out what it looks like to transition uh, back into different, maybe in-person forms of church. So um, We've been, this is going to be our second time trying to do a live service on a Sunday, this coming Sunday on the 7th of March. Um, and for us right now, live looks like Zoom. <laughs> we are going to do our entire service on Zoom, but we're going to be this time streaming it to Facebook and to YouTube as we normally do. So you can choose to either just join in as you normally would, you know, before four and, and watch online and engage in the comments like we did today. Or if you'd like to, you can actually join the Zoom call itself and that could be an opportunity to contribute, answer the question for sharing, you know, just be in the Zoom session. Um, but we'd ask that you, if you would like to join the, the Zoom next week, that you um, register ahead of time. So there's a link that you can that you can um, go to, to to register and we're going to close the Zoom um, by five past four so that we won't have people coming in and out while we're live streaming. After we're done, we're going to invite everyone to, to hop onto the Zoom for our chat after the service. So whether or not you um, want to be in the live streamed bit. So, so there you go. It's all an experiment. We're learning from it each time that we do it. We're going to finish with the blessing that we share every week. May we live fully. May we love wastefully. And may we have the courage to be all that God has created us to be.